Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses right now. If you're worshiping with us at Noonan or at our LaGrange campus, I want to say welcome. We are all together. We are a multi-site church that's dedicated to one thing, right? We want to reach South Atlanta one relationship at a time. So if you're new here, I just want to tell you, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you chose to come and be a part of this new series with us today. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's going to get real interesting today, okay? We're starting a new series called Fixer Upper. How many of you guys have seen the TV show Fixer Upper, okay? Like when I told our staff that I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach this series and then what we were going to call it, they went, oh, if you don't do that, we're firing you. And uh, I want to tell you, I think this series is going to change a lot of people's lives, their perspective. I think it's going to change our church. And I just want to say this, if God changes us and God changes our church, he will change South Atlanta. And I just firmly believe that. So I'm so excited you're here today. So the show Fixer Upper, we know the story, right? Chip and Joanne Gaines, uh, they're a a couple, married couple from Waco, Texas. And they started this concept a couple years ago. And here was the concept. What if we took people to old, rundown, dilapidated houses, maybe not horrible, but maybe like 30 years past. And uh, what if we could get them to buy this house And in exchange, we take the house, and in a matter of months or a matter of weeks, we take this house, and we see it transformed into something brand new. And you say, oh, that would never sell a TV show. It's one of the the most popular TV shows in America right now. In fact, the crazy thing about it is they've actually opened their own hotel in Waco, Texas. You can go stay at the Fixer Upper Hotel. And here's why we're doing the series. I've watched the series many times, and here's what keeps me interested. Uh, not the design. I just think Chip's hilarious, right? And I, and I think, wow, if I could do in 30 minutes what he does in 30 minutes, right, like tear something apart and actually make it look better, uh, that would be awesome. But when I started thinking and praying through where the Lord was leading us to go this fall, one of the first series was this idea, what if our life was kind of like that TV show? What if God could take our life and literally transform it into something we never dreamed it could become? You see, I meet a lot of people, they say, I really want to experience change in my life. Like, I don't want to be the same person I am 30 years from now, five years from now. And I really think a lot of people in this culture, they're depressed over the fact that they say, you know, my life has not been much different in 20 years. I think everybody desires life change. I know babies love change, right? Uh, As we grow as adults, there's this need to be transformed in our lives. So I started thinking, what is God's plan for me to live a transformed life? What does God's word say about that? And what is God's plan for my life? And I really came back to this one thought. God's design for your life is much bigger and better than yours. Do you believe that? I believe that. God's plan, God's design for your life is much bigger and much better than your plan or your design. Now, we believe that around graduation time because we send people a card, and here's what it says on the card. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And we send that card out and we send that verse out. And almost like last week, it's almost like one of those verses that we hope is true for someone's life, but we don't really know if it's going to work. But it does work. 
God's design for your life and for my life is much bigger and better than yours and mine. God has a design for your life. And I started thinking about it. Why don't we experience more transformation in our life, right? What is it? We're going to be talking about it over the next three or four weeks. But here's one of the greatest reasons why I don't think we experience more transformation. We spend most of our life conforming instead of being transformed. Let me give you an example. Some of you showed up to drop your children off to school on Friday and you immediately started conforming. Someone told you which lane to pull into, which lane you couldn't pull into, where you would park, how long you could stay, and you begin to drop your children off and then your children started conforming. They walked into the school, they walked down a certain hallway, they walked into a certain room and for a certain matter of minutes they stayed in that room until something rang and they went to another room. You see, Life, much of life, is about conforming. You go to Starbucks. They have a sign that says, line starts here. You start conforming. You go to Walmart, and it says, if you want to check your own items out, get in this line. And you think, hey, that's just going to be so easy. And so you get in the line, and suddenly the barcode is, like, demonic. (laughs) But you're conforming. Because whether you realize it or not, most of our lives is more about conforming instead of being transformed. We spend a lot of time emulating each other. Think about social media. I mean, we wouldn't even know what the running man is if it wasn't for social media. I mean, who thought up that dance? Hey, I've got this dance and we're going to do this, but nobody would know about it. Why? Because we see other people do it and suddenly we want to conform to do it. So I'm actually going to attempt to do the running man while I do the ice bucket challenge while I do three other things I found on Facebook. Would that be cool today? Okay, just teasing. We do a lot of that in our life. We conform. So here's the thing. Confirmation means I become like everybody else. But transformation means I become somebody else. And there's a difference. There is a difference. If God has a plan for our life to transform us, and not just let us spend our lives conforming to the world around us. It must be big and it must be awesome. You see in Romans 12 too, Paul says these words. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul said it right there. Listen, we're not supposed to live a conformed life, God wants us to experience a transformed life. What if God could literally take our life and transform it to be something we never dreamed it could become? Some of you go, oh, I'm in for that. I totally want that. Like, what if God could transform your marriage? How many parents would love to have a transformed child living in your home? (laughs) Some of you go, Sean, I'll pay money for that. Like, here's the wallet, I'll write the check, swipe the card, whatever, right now. You see, I believe all of us want to experience change. But the process of transformation begins when we realize our lives were designed for transformation, not confirmation. There's a big, big difference. You see, we read this verse and we think it says, God wants to renovate our minds. But he actually says he wants to renew our minds. And how does he renew our minds? That word renew means to make fresh, to have a new power. Well, we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Here's what I've learned. Religion seeks to renovate us. The Holy Spirit came to renew us. Big difference. 
Big, big difference. Because most of us, we come to church or we come to religion or we come to faith, and here's what we say. I want God to put a fresh coat of paint on me. I want God to take, take this bathroom and kind of open up the wall a little bit and, and make it just a little bit larger. But we look at him and say, but God, don't change the whole house. And God's looking at us going, no, I didn't come to bring a renovation. <laughs> I came to bring a renewal and a transformation. And if you're a follower of Christ, God has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you can live a transformed life. For me, that's good news because many times in my life, I act as if it's a renovation. Hey, God, could you slap in some new electrical here? And God's saying, no, Sean, I I got way, way more for you, buddy. And God's got way more for us. See, religion always seeks to renovate us, but the Holy Spirit came to renew us. So why don't we experience more of that? Here's why I think so. Because most of us have embraced a DIY faith. Now, do we have any DIYers here? Anyone on the weekend, you just get supercharged about going to Home Depot or Lowe's? Right? Like, I've seen you. Some of you won't admit it. Um, You go into Lowe's, and the look on your face is full of hope. I'm going to tile a bathroom. (laughs) And your children are like, OMG, dad's going to ruin the place. But you go in and you're like, man, I'm going to do this. I can do it myself. And in fact, Home Depot has actually led us to believe we can do it ourselves because their campaign is, you can do it, we can help. The problem is when I get into that DIY mode, no one from Home Depot shows up to help. It just ends up being me. So here's what's happened. We've embraced the DIY faith. God, I've got my own plan of how I can do this. And I want you to come help me with my plan. And here's what it looks like. Have you ever seen these bad nailed it photos? Like when people attempt to do DIY projects and they go bad? Like, look at this one real quick. (laughs) Hey, we need a new shower head. No problem. Nailed it. Okay, look at the next one real quick. Yeah, hey. (laughs) Hope there's not a bonfire. Okay, next one. Yeah, like, hey, the toilet's falling off the wall. Well, honey, the football game's on, so I'm just going to go get some duct tape. Okay, because duct tape covers over a multitude of sins, okay? And then the next one, hey, I think we ought to be able to listen to electronics and fry fry some bacon up while we... Or in the pool, but this one's even worse. Like, hey, I think we need a hot tub at the house. We're going to light a fire in a trash can and put the heat into the inflatable. Listen, if you've done this at your house, and I know some of you have, two words, redneck. I pray God heals you of your redneckness. <laughs> I started thinking, that's what it looks like when we try to DIY our faith. We come to church and say, God, I got this. I know you got a great plan for me because I got that on a graduation card one time, but I'm going to DIY my own faith. I'm going to come here and I'm going to learn to behave better. I'm going to learn to be better. I'm going to learn to get to, I'm I'm, going to come and I'm actually going to learn the words to the songs. I'm going to actually look up the scriptures on the Bible app. God, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it here. I'm actually going to give to the mission. And the problem is, We're never changed by a DIY faith. There's got to be something more. You see, last week, J.R. Lee, he said this, and it was a perfect setup for the series. When he said it, I went, oh, that is so 
a Holy Spirit moment, like God's gonna use that. And here's what he said. If I wanna see God change the world, I must first let God change my world. Right? How many of you wanna see the world change? Raise your hand. You wanna live in a different world. Then you gotta let God change your world. Because until God changes your world, he can't change the world around you. I like that. I I really do think that's part of what's missing in us as followers of Christ is that we have gotten to the point that we want to do it so much ourselves that we we cry out through social justice, I'm going to change the world, but I'm not going to let God change my world. But I want to tell you something. If you let God change your world, he will change the world. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn over there. It's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's talking to them about this life that we have in Jesus. In fact, he uses the first part of Ephesians four, talking about how we should be together and we should be aligned as the body and that we should have the bond of peace. And, 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 and in Ephesians three, he actually says, I want you to know how great God's love is. And then in Ephesians 3.20, he says, because God's immeasurably able to do immeasurably more. And we quote that verse a lot too. But then we get into chapter four and Paul begins to unpack how we can live a transformed life. Now, here's what's crazy. We think Paul was writing to a church in a church city, in a church culture. But the the church at Ephesus was far from that. It was one of the major cities in the Roman culture. And Ephesus was not like the best place in the world. Let me explain it to you. They had a temple to one of the greatest pagan gods, Artemis. And people would come in droves to worship at this pagan temple. And it was such a big deal that the temple even had their own prostitutes. So if you were a male and you needed some sexual relief, you could go to the Artemis temple and you could have sex with a prostitute. And Paul writes this letter to the church. And it's kind of funny because we think sometimes these disciples and these apostles, they write letters and they're writing to like the first Baptist church of on the corner. (laughs) No. And Paul begins to write this letter to them and he begins to explain how we can experience and live a transformed life in Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 17, Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now stop right there. How many of you growing up, your mom said, you better not hang out with that person. You're gonna become just like them, right? I remember one time my mom said, if you hang out with that person, you're gonna start smoking weed. She was right. You hang out with that person, you're going to end up in jail. Pretty close. The night we jumped the fence at Whitewater and went swimming at 2 in the morning, I almost got arrested. I'm just telling you. Paul looks at them and he says, I want you to understand what you have in Jesus. And he said, it begins, you've got to stop thinking like the Gentiles. And then he explains why. Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. And due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In those two verses, he explains three types of thinking that reflect the bad design that the world wants us to live by. The first is this. He says they have a futility of their thinking. A futility, have you ever gotten to the place where you've thought about something so long and you realize this thinking process is going nowhere? 
Like I remember even as a 16-year-old boy, I would lay in my bed and I would think about my life and how I had no purpose and I would be left to my own thoughts. The scariest place in your life is when you get left to your own thoughts. Because what you realize is I don't have the power in my own thinking to get out of the life that I find myself in. He said, that's a description of the Gentiles. And then he goes on to say this. He says, they're darkened in their understanding. So much so that it's causing a separation between what God had designed for them and it's due to a hardening of their hearts. Now here's what's crazy. Have you ever known something but you didn't fully understand it and it frustrated you? Okay, we have any people who studied physics in here? Any, yeah, you're so smart. <laughs> just wanna say that. Like, if you come to me and you say, Sean, there's this theory of physics that you just got to understand. Listen, you can come to me and you can say it and you can say it a thousand. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I, listen, I can watch the Big Bang Theory and I still don't understand it. <laughs> physics is one of those things that I can know a lot about but never understand it. Paul said they had gotten to a point that they had been left to their own thoughts, which is scary. Then they came to a darkening of their hearts in their understanding. In other words, they had attempted to do things in their life and they were just kind of caught in this cultural sin failure cycle over and over and over again. I started thinking about this. What is one thing that's worse than being hard-headed? (laughs) Hard-hearted. Do you know anyone who's hard-headed? I just saw some lady look at the person beside her. (laughs) There'll be an altar call later. (laughs) The truth is this. The only thing worse than being hard-headed in your life is being hard-hearted. And Paul says they've become so darkened in their understanding, they know a lot about the culture but have no way to be moved and be different. Does that not sound like the world we live in? We got more churches on street corners. We got more podcasts to download. We got more Christian books. We got five fifty trillion dollars worth of self-help books at Barnes and Noble. But people know more, but they understand less about how to really be changed and how to be different. And then he goes on to says this. He says they become hard-hearted and then he says they've become callous which means they became numb to it. They were numb to the culture around them. Have have you ever been somewhere and your foot fell asleep or your leg fell asleep? Like you're in a meeting, because most people will die in meetings. I just want to say that. And you're in a meeting and all of a sudden after sitting for about an hour, your left leg goes to sleep and you grab a pencil and you go to stab yourself in the leg (laughs) because you got to stand up and move and go to the restroom or something, right? Or you step on your foot. That's what he's saying. He says the culture has made them so numb, this old design that they're trying to live their life by, they become so numb to it, it was like their foot falling asleep. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, I was on YouTube the other day and people post these videos of coming out of wisdom tooth surgery. Y'all seen these? (laughs) Man, I just wanna tell you, like they go numb them up, sit them in the chair, pull some teeth out and the friends go, YouTube! And they pull out the phone. And they start asking him questions like, who's your father, Luke? And the person starts talking like they're in Star Wars. I mean, it's weird. Like, and, and I remember the very first one, this child, which a lot of people got upset about, but the child's sitting in the back and he had some teeth pulled and the kid's in the back and here's what he's saying. Is this real life? And I thought, that's what we must look like when we embrace the design that this world has for us. We're left to our own thoughts. We're darkened in our understanding and we become numb. 
So as a pastor, my job is to help you get it. So I I wrote this down because I want to remind you of this. What is the long-term effect of living numb? Here it is right here. When you go numb, you become dumb. Hey, here's my phone. When I come out of surgery, I want you to videotape it. (laughs) Oh, when you go numb, you become dumb. You don't, you don't even know what you're doing, right? And, and you, you forget to understand the immediate effects of sin in your life. And, and it's at that point that people usually say, I feel like God's left me. Well, God hadn't left you. You just become numb. You've just become numb. Paul says, this isn't God's design for you. Think about that. Here's a set of plans right here. See, the world has a set of plans for your life. It says, if you live according to the way that we think you ought to live and think about your life the way you think you ought to think about your life, that, that the, the problem is this. Paul said, this isn't God's plan for you. God didn't ever want you to be left to your thoughts. He never wanted you to know a lot but never be able to live it out or understand it in your life. And God certainly doesn't want you to be dumb and numb. God wants you to experience his plan. For your life. So here's what we do many times. We come to the culture and we say, hey, what does this person say I should do? And, and we start looking at these plans. And Paul says, that's not the design God had for you. In fact, look what he says in verse 20. But this is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, when you came to know Jesus, there was something more than the plans of this world. Assuming that you've heard about him, verse 21, and were taught in him as truth in Jesus. In other words, he says, if Jesus lives in you and you're a Christ follower, these aren't the plans that God has for your life. And he begins to explain. Verse 22. As the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to pack that for you because this right here is going to begin the next four weeks of us understanding. How can God take my life like an old 30-year-old house and transform it? Number one, you got to reject the bad design. You see, here's what you got to do you got to look at the world and you got to begin to roll up the plans that the world has for you and you've got to reject the bad design. In fact, you just need to put it away, okay? So that word put away, Paul says in Scripture, is a very specific word. How many of you guys have ever been driving down the road and you just rolled down your window and you just threw something out the window? No one will admit to that, but you do. You're doing about 45, and all of a sudden the kitten starts doing things in the car he's not supposed to, and you roll down the window, and you throw the cat out. The children are crying. No, that's not what you do. You pull to the side of the road. You stop the car. You open the door. Then you let the cat out and drive off. (laughs) Paul said, look at your life. Look at the design the world has for you. And you need, to, you need to throw it away. You need to put it away. In fact, I've learned there are two types of people in this life. There are stuffers and throw it awayers. Some of you are married to a stuffer. Okay, I have a great revelation about my home. My wife has drawers and she stuffs things. 
I'm a throw it away. Or if it stays in our home for longer than nine months and we really don't need it, it's going to be gone. And I think that's why my wife's a stuffer because she knows if it sits out, it won't be there nine months from now. And I started thinking, what do we try to do with our old life? We stick it in a drawer. Paul said, put off your old self. In other words, reject or get rid of the bad design. Put it off. Put it away. We have to throw away the bad blueprints. It's kind of like me when I was a child. I used to draw things all the time. And I would say, wow, wouldn't it be great if someone took my drawings and made a building from it? No, it wouldn't. It will collapse. It won't even make it through like road traffic. It will fall down. Why? It's a bad design. And Paul said, look at this world. It's trying to put a design on your life. You've got to put it away. And then he says this, you need to embrace God's design. You see, there's a whole other set of plans over here. Can I tell you, the reason some of you have never experienced the transformation God wants you to experience in your life is you've been trying to build your life off the wrong plans. And all along, you keep saying, why doesn't this work? And you keep looking at the symptoms of your life going, I need a new set of symptoms. I need a new solution to fix my symptoms. Listen, God wants to give you a whole new set of plans. Look what he says in verse 23. Go back to verse 23 real quick. He says these words. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That word renewed means to be divinely renewed in and by the Holy Spirit. That when we sit down, God has a whole new design for our life because as a follower of Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Paul says it again in Titus 3, 5. Look what he says. He saved us, who? Jesus, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Look how he did it. By the washing of regeneration, that's salvation, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How did he renew us? How does he renew us? The Holy Spirit. He said, hey, you have a whole new design to embrace. So I started thinking, well, what does that word renew mean? It means it's a continual work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and that word new is the word kainos, which means this, not renovated, but brand new. To be new in character and species. But here's the problem. If we don't ever throw away the old design and begin to embrace God's design, we still think God's about renovating us instead of transforming us. And God wants to transform us. Listen, God's not into refurbishing. He's into renewing. When we give our life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we begin to embrace God's design for our life. And then something amazing happens. We begin to walk in a new capacity and ability. He says that word, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he says in verse 24, look what he says. And to put on the new self. In other words, this is not something I have to work at. It's something I now have the capacity to do. He says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we read that many times and we go, okay, well, that's a good verse. You know, whatever. Listen to what Paul just said. (laughs) What Paul just said to most Christians seems impossible. But not for the God of miracles. 
In fact, it ought to be more normal for us. He says, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Did I just hear Paul say that? That when I put on this new plan, this new identity that God has on my life, not only does he give me a new capacity, he now gives me a new ability. And he says these words, created after the likeness of God. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 1.4, we can become partakers of the divine nature. Holy cow. I don't meet many Christians that have that type of transforming power in their life. But I want to. And the truth is, God says we can walk in a new capacity and a new ability. So let me ask you a question. Why would God give you a new capacity but not give you the ability to live in it? You say, I don't know. Now, let, me, let me bring it down real practical, okay? I love Camaros. Anybody here love Camaros? Okay, they are of God. Everybody should own one. I would trade a Corvette. I would trade a Viper. I would trade a Lambert or whatever, Guinea, for that. But Tracy shows up and she buys me a white SS Camaro with blue racing stripes and she pulls it into the driveway and she said, this is yours. And I go, and yes, you are blessed among women. And I walk out, and here's what I say. Honey, this is absolutely beautiful. I'm going to sit here and look at it, but I'm not going to drive it. It's just going to sit in my driveway. I've got all the capacity. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to do. Listen, I'm going to get in that car, and within 20 minutes, I'm going to have four tickets. <laughs> I'm going to yank every curb in Summer Grove out of the ground. You will know if I ever get a Camaro. <laughs> you'll see me. <laughs> you'll see me beside the police officer as he's ticketing me. Let me let me ask you this: Why in the world would I have the capacity to own that, but never have the ability to drive it? See, that's why some of us think the Christian life is about us being renovated, and that's what religion wants to do. It wants to put a new coat of paint on you. God said, I didn't come so you could have a new coat of paint. Jesus said, I'm leaving this place, guys. He's with his disciples in the upper room, and I'm going to leave, and someone greater is going to come, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to do something in your life, and it's going to transform you. You have a whole new capacity with a whole new ability, and you've got to begin to walk in it. So here's the good news. We're not the builder. God's the master builder. We're not. See, here's what we've done in the Christian life. We've tried to say to God, God, I want to hire you as my subcontractor. Holy Spirit, you're going to be the painter. God the Father, we're going to let you do the plumbing. No, 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 no. You're not the builder. God is the master builder. And when Jesus left this earth and he went to go be with the Father, he left so that the Holy Spirit could come. And at the time that the Holy Spirit would come, the whole goal is that you and I could be renewed because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. A whole new capacity with a whole new ability. You say, Sean, prove that. Well, I can. Look at Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, God's grace is proof that he wants to transform you because the word grace is charis and it means favor, God's favor. God has favored you with grace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But God's transforming power is through his spirit. And if you're a Christ follower, that spirit lives in you. You know, one of my greatest moments of going to Israel was to stand on the south steps of the temple. I really hope that many of you will sign up and go, by the way. It'll change your life. South steps of the temple is where in Acts 2, they believe that the the moment of Pentecost happened when the Holy Spirit invaded this earth. Jesus had already ascended to be with the Father. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came. And in that moment, they were, they were out there in that, that area. And, and, and all of a sudden, something amazing happened. You remember Peter? Peter, like, I want a barefoot ski, Peter. Like he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, if you're on the water, I want to walk to where you are. And he gets out of the boat and he starts walking. He starts drowning. Suddenly becomes a triathlete. You know, he's, he gets out there. Peter, the guy who stuck his foot in the mouth, you know. Peter, the guy that when Jesus was about to be crucified, denied Jesus three times. Peter, the guy that in John 21, after Jesus had come out of the grave, is around the fire with his disciples. And he looks at his disciples. He looks at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Yes. And Jesus began to tell Peter what was going to happen to him. And he told Peter, told his disciples, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, everything's going to be different. You're going to be transformed. Take you back to the steps of the temple. Peter, standing on the steps of the temple, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost. Peter, begin to operate in a new capacity with a whole new ability. You see, most of Peter's life, we knew before the Holy Spirit came, before he had been transformed. But you know what happened to him in Acts 2? He came alive. In fact, I believe this. I believe that one of the reasons that so many thousands of Jews were saved in that moment of Pentecost was not because of the other things that were going on. They had never seen a Jew, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says when Peter stood up, you know what he did? He stood up and started preaching. And he began to tell them about Jesus. And suddenly, though, he began to do it with a whole new capacity and a whole new ability. And the Bible says when he was done talking to the crowds, it says the people were undone. I'm a preacher, so I think, man, God, could you make that happen on a Sunday morning sometime? Like when I speak, would you let people come undone? And then I started thinking in my natural self, I said, well, Sean, you've preached before and people said, I'm done. (laughs) You see, that's the natural. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and he used Peter in that moment and he was beginning to operate in a whole new capacity with a whole new ability. And he spoke, it says the people were undone and thousands gave their life to Jesus. I believe one of the reasons that thousands were saved in that moment and were baptized in those ceremonial washing areas was because the Jews had never seen what it looked like to see someone fully transformed. 
We knew Peter as the Jew who was the fisherman who was trying to follow Jesus. But suddenly we see Peter and he's fully alive. You can't contain that. Listen, God designed you for transformation, not renovation. Religion, it's about renovation. That's why some of you today, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ because until Jesus lives in your heart, till you receive him as Savior and Lord, you are still in captive to your sin. Because the word saved means delivered from something to someone. Jesus came to deliver you. But then he came and said, and when I go away, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. See, here's what changed about me. When I gave my life to Christ, I not just got forgiveness of sin, but the Holy Spirit now lives inside me. I have a whole new ability and a whole new capacity. I have to sit around trying to fake it. I'm not sitting around trying to put the finished coat on my life. I'm surrendering to Jesus and saying, Jesus, Holy Spirit, change me. I'm one of those miracles we sang about earlier, and so are you. Would you pray with me today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.